Do not try and bend the spoon. That's impossible. Instead, only try to realize the truth. What truth? There is no spoon. There is no spoon? Then you'll see that it is not the spoon that bends. It is only yourself. The Oracle will see you now. And my perception, it's not about making it some kind of bullshit um, positive perception. It's just about seeing things for what they are. And what they are, are, are actually much better than I perhaps naturally perceive them to be. I think that's so much to, so much to be said for that. I think people walk around without realizing just how hard they are on themselves. Faith is almost the bottom line of creativity. It requires a leap of faith anytime we undertake a creative endeavor, whether this is going to the easel or the page or onto the stage. A quote from Julia Cameron, author of The Artist's Way. Welcome to the Lotus Crusher podcast with me, Dane Ensley. Behind the Curtain with Freddie Cohen. Freddie is a musician, writer, and performer. He is a very, very, very deep thinker. He seems to take his time assembling his opinions when exploring his thoughts and ideas. He does not assume to know anything, and part of the enjoyment of speaking with him was the overwhelming feeling that we were discovering things together. I've had the pleasure of getting to know Freddie a bit over the past year. Inquisitive and somewhat reserved, he allowed me to poke around at his journey through mental and emotional change processes he's participated in. In this episode, Freddie and I discuss the often overlooked importance of applying purpose to our self-care regimen. We talk about being part of a group of creative collaborators, how a group endeavor provides a level of safety and potential anonymity and how these things can be appropriate emotional coping mechanisms. We look at how to perform for others while overcoming defective ego and self. And we touch on how faith in something greater than ourselves can provide us with much needed equanimity. And this isn't that, right? This isn't like, oh, what's your favorite song on the album? Or like, oh, <laughs> like do you love being a rock star or like what foot pedal do you use? It's more like, um, how, how do you, how do you do what you do? Cause you, you do it a particular way and you're relatively successful doing what you do. And it, it's more about picking your brain and figuring out ways in which maybe you can project some of what you've learned onto, you know, yeah. some random person that listens to this, if anyone ever listens to this at all, which <laughs> it, it's quite possible that no one gives a shit, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd, ho I'd hope that's not the case. <laughs> but, uh, well, I mean, initially, I, I, I used to drink a lot. Yeah. And that was a coping mechanism of sorts. Um, but I don't think it was to deal with any kind of boredom. 
I think it was to deal with the dodgy relationship I had with myself. Right. It's funny because when you play in a band, it's very, very different from being, you know, you, you would you would assume that if you play, say if you get a guitar and you play in a pub, that playing in a band to 20,000 people or 2,000 or 500 or whatever is just a larger version of that. But it really isn't to me because you have your bandmates, you have your crew, you have the lights, you have the whole circus that goes into putting on a show is a kind of bubble wrap for you as a individual. Right. So you go and you are part of a huge machine and you fulfill your part and you can fulfill it to varying degrees of success, but you can kind of do it somewhat anonymously because you're known as a certain character and you become a certain character on stage, but, but it's quite divorced from who you are as an individual. Or, or it can be. I guess that's my point. Is that enjoyable to have that that mask that you can wear? For me, it's not enjoyable. It's not. For me, it's not. For, for so what? I, for me, that and the drinking and well, that stuff was all a kind of defense mechanism that I wasn't really even aware of. Sure. So my point about the guy in the pub is that you're looking someone. I didn't even used to look people in the eye. When you played, no, I found it. I didn't notice that, but I'd noticed it recently that it just—it was too difficult to actually square up to an audience member one on one. Wow! Because personally, just because of my relationship with myself, and it was such an odd thing that you could go through years of playing and really feel completely divorced from the person that people have come to see, as in, uh-huh. as if you don't have anything to do with it as if you're almost a spectator yourself but a very critical one that whole equation i I would get pretty uncomfortable and i used to i used to drink on it so i would i was quite i was drunk a lot of a lot of the shows a a lot of the time it was very unusual thing for me personally not to be drinking Um, for any gig. After recording this interview, I explored scholarly articles on the existence and importance of empathic connections between a group of performers. I found a series of articles linked into a series of studies being done by researchers Elaine King and Caroline Waddington on music and empathy. Waddington explores the importance of empathy and how it influences psychological phenomena in relationship to ensemble performance. She states, Analysis revealed that expert ensemble musicians perceived their peak performance experiences to be a result of co-performer empathy, components of flow, and two performance conditions, repertoire choice and environment. Co-performer empathy itself consisted of three main components, a shared approach of interpretation and to working together, an intentional awareness of how colleagues are operating on both a musical and practical level, and a special connection between players. In addition, it was found that co-performer empathy sometimes led to an ensemble achieving spontaneous interpretive flexibility during performance. I imagine that happened over a period of time. Well, not really. You know, I saw I saw a cigarette machine, and in, in when I was I was in a, a Vedo or a Vito 
yesterday, Oviado, uh-huh. um, and it had this kind of slash Axl Rose type character, topless with I think like you know leather trousers and a Les Paul by his knees, and he was kind of opening his arms in a kind of uh, you know crucifix position, looking up. And they were just, he was surrounded by screaming people. And that, that was on a cigarette machine. And that's, that's kind of, that, sorry? I said, that's you. Well, <laughs> but, <laughs> no, but, but, you know, that's kind of what I signed up for yeah. when I was young, because I was a big fan of the, you know, the Strokes were the first band I kind of had a personal, the first band that was happening at the time, because I grew up with classic rock music. Oh, could you come back later? Thank you. Sorry. Um, it's okay. I'm in a hotel. Uh, I grew up with classic rock and Zeppelin and the Stones and uh, Hendrix and all these things. But when the Strokes came out, I had some ownership of that. And so I was obsessed with the clothes and the culture. And part of that was smoking. Sure. That was completely, you know, it was really funny seeing that smoke machine because it was really like, well, you can't. When I was doing some of my first recording sessions, I would have an ashtray and I would chain smoke because yeah. I just thought that's such a huge part of what you're doing. Like, how could you be recording guitar in a studio and not be smoking and not be cracking beers and not be doing that? You know. Yeah, it's it's interesting the image that goes along with all this stuff. Uh, we talk we talk about it often myself and the guys that I work with and the guys that I interact with on a regular basis this idea of sex drugs and rock and roll always being sort of a leading or guiding force in our lives at an early age and also how it's not going away like it's always going to be cool the sex drugs and the rocks the rock and roll yeah i mean i i think it's a kind of it's the antithesis to capitalist day-to-day white collar society right maybe it was i mean yeah maybe it was but you know the reason i think keith richards is so mythologized i don't think he's mythologized by many musicians going oh it's fabulous what he did with his life and you know like i love his music yeah but i think it's by you know your dad or by um someone who it's a it's a fantasy projection and it's done in a way in comparison to my commute and my office job. It's like, well, yeah, you know, on XR Main Street, south of France, speedboats, heroin. Yeah. That's your day-to-day life, sleeping with a gun. This stuff is incredibly attractive from the position of the opposite, right? Opposites attract. It's an attractive concept. I think that's where the fantasy develops. And it also develops for, like for me, it developed in school. Mm. The antithesis of that kind of life was school. Eat breakfast now, learn this now, play games now, socialize now, like complete rigorous control. And that is a breeding ground for rebellion. Well, yeah. What was your relationship with school as a kid? I hated school. Yeah, me too. I hated school. I... I was exp- I was actually expelled from my nursery, <laughs> which isn't much of an accomplishment. I don't think. I mean, I, I, think I was just disrupted. But um, I never really understood school. I had incredibly. 
I probably still do. I I have quite bad attention deficit, mm-hmm. especially related to hearing. So my hearing is quite acute, and I just I was zone in on something, and it's I can get incredibly distracted very quickly. And I'm somewhat allergic to things that I'm not drawn to naturally. It's a very, very powerful force, which is either making me want to do something or not want to do something. Depends how you look at it. But if you look at it, I look at it positively. I'm incredibly drawn to certain things. And that's what I want to spend my time pursuing. And I can't stand what I perceive to be a waste of time. Um, So school was very challenging for that. Yeah, just just painful. It was like a nightmare being there, to be honest. And then I went to boarding school, actually, when I was 13. And I was there for three years. And that I did like because I was living there. And that kind of pack mentality was something that I just, at that time, thrived and, and really enjoyed. But the actual schoolwork was the last thing on my mind. And it was a co-ed school. And I'd never really been around girls or... So it was much more like a summer camp to me, St- like trying to start bands, um, getting in trouble and um, and chasing girls. At boarding school? At boarding school, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that from so many people that they've had much better experiences there than at sort of a normal school or a, or a traditional urban co-ed school. Is I went to boarding school and... You did? No, no, no. I'm just oh, I'm, right. I'm speaking about this narrative that I hear that's been somewhat consistent in some of the people that I've spoken to about their time at boarding school. Is yeah, I went to this school and I hated it and I struggled and then I went to boarding school and there was some sort of shift in uh, my behavior or my cognition or my perception of my own reality and it helped me in some way. And it it sounds like what you just said where. Yeah, I couldn't be fucked to do schoolwork, but there was some sort of camaraderie in the pack mentality and the, the group of people that I was associated with. And there was, it sounds like there was some sort of um, shift for you there. And it's, it's interesting to me in, because I'm like hyper-focused on conditioning in the work that I do. And then also how how um, the lack of sort of proper or positive conditioning, useful conditioning impacts people from an early age. You can, you can try to help somebody as much as you want, but until you understand how they've been conditioned and then how to um, reorganize or restructure that and recondition them, I don't know that you're doing any good. I mean, I think it, it's it's a it's a massive thing to talk about. We don't have to get too deep into it, but it's no, that makes perfect sense. I, I grew up in a broken home. I didn't lack things and stuff, and but it was you know it was to my perception it was a broken home. So I think children are incredibly um, perceptive. And they're like sponges and they just pick everything up. And I just knew something was wrong and I didn't feel very safe. And something about having extreme structure, whilst it wasn't a success for my academic life, commute like community and, and safety and whether it's routine, but I think mostly it's a social thing. 
it's a social thing. I was probably lacking a kind of safe social environment. Mm. And I don't know. I, I don't think we evolved probably more as pack animals rather than these kind of microcells of two parents, two kids. I mean, that works when it works. But if a family is broken, then you... I find it ironic that, you know, another thing, I guess, with boarding school is that in order for you to be at boarding school, either your parents have inherited a lot of money or they have to work very hard. So, you know, it is one of the things that society forgives or even encourages is, is financial prowess or, you know, moving up the, the that structure, but less time for kids, more money for therapists and boarding schools and tennis lessons. But, you know, I think children just want to feel safe and they want time. So, and time is love, I guess, mm. from a child's perspective. Mm-hmm. So I'm not surprised that you've heard it before because I think it's interesting. I think a lot of kids grow up with nannies, develop abandonment issues, develop all sorts of things. I think I was just surprised to get that perspective from uh, from a handful of people that I've gotten to know pretty well uh, because there's this, at least in this country, there's a stigma in ways or like oh if you go to boarding school it's because your parents don't give a fuck about you and that that's that's pretty trippy like the amount of the amount of amazing experiences that i've gotten from people that have gone to boarding school say in the uk or europe um it's just it, it it's it i i really have enjoyed hearing those stories and i've enjoyed learning about the um the positives that come along with probably removing or being removed from whatever stimulus was at home and being sort of reintroduced or like we said, reconditioned in a way in a different environment. Um, And it works. It works with adults. Sometimes it's harder to do with adults. Right. And you've probably had your own experiences with reconditioning and, you know, being doing what you do and being a musician and and touring and playing and and having a certain way you do things over a period of time and becoming conditioned to doing them that way and not looking people in the eye right and being somewhat disconnected from this group of people you're playing to that you've you are there to perform for them and and now assume i mean because you mentioned not looking them in the eyes and feeling removed or, or distracted or whatever it was, and now reconditioning yourself to interact. And I've seen you play and you do interact with your audience. And that was fantastic. The whole band does, but I can't even imagine, I, I didn't know you then. So I can't imagine what that was like for you to not be connected with those people. I'm, I'm in a somewhat different position now to, 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 to the position I was in before. I think it's the biggest obstacle. I think probably the same for a lot of people. The biggest obstacle when I go on stage is overcoming self. That's the biggest thing. But whereas before, I think I probably had quite a violent relationship with myself, as in just why don't you just get over it, overcome it? You know, why is mm. the problem for you? Mm-hmm. Why do you need to check out? Or, I mean, but not that. It wasn't what that well thought out. It was just this is kind of unbearable. So got to check out somehow 
now to doing a lot of work on myself and being in a much better position and much more loving and kind position with myself. It's a bit more like a game of chess. You know, I don't think that you can rid yourself of the self-critical aspect if you've got it. I don't, I don't know if some people don't have it. I don't know. It's not really my business. I mean, I have it. So that's the biggest thing that stands in the way of me doing what I do well, aside from all the other stuff, which we can get into. But my big obstacle is uh, me. Is you, right. That's my biggest obstacle. Uh, you know, look at this person. They look, someone just yawned in the back. Or this person, uh, you just looked at them in the eye and they looked away. Or this person isn't doing that. And it, it's kind of, it's navigating those thoughts into, but there's 20 people over there going apeshit. And there's someone standing right next to the person that's yawning, that's practically in tears because they're having so much fun or what I need to develop and nurture is my perception Uh and my perception. It's not about making it some kind of bullshit, um, positive perception. It's just about seeing things for what they are and what they are 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 actually much better than I perhaps naturally perceive them to be. Um, but I don't think I'm unique in that. I think that's, I think that's so much to so much to be said for that. I think people walk around without realizing just how hard they are on themselves. Lotus Crusher is sponsored in part by Qualia, a nootropic supplement produced by California-based Neurohacker Collective. With daily use, I have eliminated my procrastination and my productivity has grown exponentially. With over 40 rare and premium brain-boosting ingredients formulated with optimal dosages, the difference in mental performance, mood, and energy from Qualia is unparalleled. Nourish your mind and increase your cognitive ability today. Use our discount code LOTUS L-O-T-U-S at neurohacker.com and get 10% off single month orders or 15% off a subscription service. Where's your head at? Mine is fed by Qualia. I, you know, I did some, I did a little bit of uh, work with the primary school in the East End of Glasgow, um, St. Mary's Primary School. Recently? It was a couple of years ago. Sure. I did it over a year. Over the course of a year, a couple of years ago, we recorded some music together. We, I did like a music lesson, just talked to the students. And, and this friend of mine was organizing it, and he had filmmakers and musicians and people coming in to talk to them. And I think the, what he was hoping that the central message would be was, you can do it if, if it's something you really want to do. And that is the most important step to making it a reality. Because from his perspective, they weren't getting that message at home. Hmm. And fair enough, if you've, if you've been subject to maybe even generations of misfortune, you might take on that attitude of, you know, it's not going to happen for you, mate. Why, why bother? Why try? Why try? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's potentially, if that's the case, and that's an entire class just in one town, in one area, that's, that are walking around with that type of mentality, 
subconsciously, which is, I want to do it, but it's not possible. I mean, that's something that I've been interested in quite a lot recently because because of things like suicide and drug addiction and, and stuff like that. I'm just, I'm quite interested where that comes from, that kind of, in an extreme form, that type of self-hatred. Mm. Th- that That is really of huge interest to me because with you know we are these highly evolved developed survival machines you know that's essentially what we're here to do is survive and you know if you like the Dawkins thing you just your gene survival bodies and every disease or every living creature or everything is is to, to proliferate that's the purpose and they'll go to insane lengths to do it so why in this you know Ferrari of evolution is there this gear that makes one kill themselves or or destroy themselves with drugs or or whatever, fill in the blank. That is kind of fascinating to me because all the maths would say that that's not, that shouldn't be such an issue. Mm. But it's an enormous, enormous issue. And could it be of our, sort of our own making, like our, our own warping of our perception right if we're ferraris in the game of evolution and we are introduced to these um i don't know if you could call them alternative coping mechanisms essentially and i'm not a scientist i'm not a therapist i'm really not clinically qualified in any way shape or form uh, and i don't on this podcast we don't intend to uh, answer too many questions it's, it's more exploration than question answering we're not here to bore people with massive amounts of data um although i find it tremendously interesting the data but you know maybe not everyone does if we're if we're ferraris in the game of evolution and someone throws in like the spike strip onto the the, the roadway uh you know let's just say mom and dad Right, they, for some reason, in their own experience, in their own life, they were introduced to something that was traumatic or dramatic or you know dysfunctional, and then they they carry that with them and they introduce that to young Freddie, say, and then Freddie runs over the spike strip and and he gets to know that you know it's it's he somehow internalizes that that spike strip, that road bump, whatever it is. And yeah. Car- well, I mean, I'm just, I'm sort of like, I'm riffing here. It's not really, I don't know that this is true. It's just in my experience working with other people. Um, no, I think it is true. Um, but, you know, what I, I go back to what I was saying earlier about the, the culture of boarding school is that I find it ironic that there's so much um, social pressure for one to be, success and then what are the products of success well there's no time to raise your children Hmm. there's no time well i mean that's that in itself like unpack that this you know there's so much in that um and i know this is only talking about a select group of people but i'll talk about what i know that's ironic to me that and so that so that is a kind of social construction I mean, it's not. It's partly biological and it's part social. So the biological part is that we all we're a competitive species, right? Yeah, and so like in the same way that a lion wants to be the strongest, 
for a human, it's the wealthiest and most powerful. We are driven to do those certain things and be that way. But we, I guess maybe it's become too efficient and perhaps we're too good at it or it doesn't really work for us in this setup. But so in one sense, you're driven to do it. And then in the social sense, I, I guess, yeah, I, I, I think that to me, it's not a, it's not an, it seems like it's a lot of energy to, you know, to put in the hours every week so that you need a nanny and then kids are better off at boarding school and then and then you're paying for therapy because you you fucked you fucked your kids up well i mean <laughs> i mean it depends how you look at it because you could look at my life and my mom for example she'd she'd say oh, i'm you know i'm very proud of what freddie's done and everything that all the decisions we made they resulted in him being or doing what he's doing, which is what he loves. And so on paper, there's all these amazing things. But part of the reason I, I got to where I got to is because I felt an enormous pressure to be successful. Mm. Probably in the same way that my dad felt an enormous pressure to be successful. Probably different from his dad, because his dad was he grew up in the war and it was they just wanted enough to get by. Right. Um, but I think it's, a, it's an interesting... It's a very interesting thing. You know, if you go to, I was just in China recently and it's like the, 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 what's happening there in order for them to have the money to do the things they think they need to be doing. It, it's, um, it freaks, it freaks me out. It freaks me out that, 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 that kind of nouveau riche, a kind of mass tsunami of nouveau riche ideals my own perception of myself which is a major contributor to my mental health and the way i interact with other people is how am i doing right am i receiving this positive feedback or am i not typically if we're talking you know if i'm talking about myself i don't feel like i do get enough feedback from other people so that oftentimes leaves me in a place where i have to perceive the way i'm doing things in my own head and that's a dangerous place for me to be. I don't feel like I'm growing fast enough where people might perceive me as growing exponentially or people yeah. might see might see me as like, oh yeah, Dane is doing exactly what he wants when he wants to do it and exactly the way he wanted to do it from the get-go and and the way I the way I perceive the way I'm doing things is completely different. Um yeah. Well, it's just interesting how it can go from a, a country like China's economic uh, power uh, or its own perception of its economic power and then the individual's way of relating to itself, you know, like generating these feed, feedback loops or not, and then how that plays a role in how we interact with our world, you know, whether or not we become addicted to drugs, whether or not we jump off a building and commit suicide. I don't think there is ever enough. If China just engulfs the whole world and that country becomes an economic paradise, I don't think there's ever enough money or, or prestige or anything like that to make someone feel secure. I think the American problem is perhaps disparity between the American dream and, and the American reality. I think that so, but what they have in common is a lack of trust. Yeah. So I think totally. there's a lack of faith. I think that the, the Americans, if the president is a you know prolific liar and that's just becoming an, an accepted daily ritual for you and 
the healthcare and all this stuff, but you are in the greatest country in the world in the greatest time in history, which might actually be true. I mean, you know, in terms of disease and war and all this stuff, we are actually technically in the best historical period, but we are not robots and we need so much more than that to nourish us forward. And I think, yeah, I guess what that's what those two things have in common. I think this lack of faith. I think people need to believe that things will be okay. Mm. Children, adults, everyone. It's a fundamental sense of security, which I think is much deeper thing. I think that's when you get into spirituality because I think it's much deeper thing than it's not about fulfilling a, a, a social, like a prerequisite of, you know, this, this, and this will equal security. Um, I think it's a, a, a bigger thing. I think it's a, a a much bigger thing than that. Have you done a lot of work on your your perception uh, of your own spirituality? Can you, is there any way to quantify that, or is there any way to break down the um, the components that comprise your spirituality? Because for me. It's very difficult. Like I, when when someone asks me that question or encourages me to describe what what my um, what my concept of something greater than myself is, it's it's very difficult. It's I I, I, I there there's definitely it's definitely there and it's definitely nourished and nurtured and and in many ways and and probably in ways that people wouldn't really traditionally think of it being uh, nurtured it's just when i try to describe my concept of um of the spirit or uh, this universal force or whatever it is and i'm I'm not religious uh i have a very difficult time with that i'm wondering if if you do too or if you're you have more clarity on that from the work that you've done i heard someone describe it the other day that that it's a to try and understand these things, it's a little bit like trying to teach a dog to play chess. <laughs> and it's in the the Tao Te Ching. You know, the first is the first reading is the Tao that can be named is not the real Tao, or you know, something like that. Which is which I think is which is completely right. You know, if I could tell you articulately, if if I could give you any, you know, one percent, one grain of sand of articulate, accurate spiritual download I'd, I'd be a prophet nature is you know everything that we perceive in, to, to me everything we've recreated in technology everything we're trying to do we, we'll it's all just little fragments of interpreted nature because we're a product of nature so we can't it's very hard for us to think outside the realms of that um but nature is vastly complex and and beautiful and orderly and i'm not talking about i mean of course there are diseases that kill children and there are awful awful things but it's not that's only disorderly if you favor humanity hmm. a disease is a living thing just like we are it's just you know that's not necessarily disorder so i guess i view that my subconscious a product of of history i, I suppose i mean we all come from stardust literally mm-hmm. and we've all come from the same germs and crawled out the same places and 
not technically. We are actually linked to things that go f- back as far as we can conceive, right? Or can't conceive, yeah. Or can't conceive, yeah. But as far as we could, the best we could possibly conceive it in that length, you know, uh, for, for on this planet. So do you see what I mean? You see what I'm getting to is that you, it's, you can't really conceive it, so why bother? Yeah, and are you okay with that? I am okay with that. So, so I, I, I take that as my subconscious, um, and what I deal with with my daily work on my spirituality and my beliefs is is the dog playing chess. It's my highly flawed conscience. It's my conscious reality, which is dogged with self criticism, ego, um, grandiosity. Uh, you know, a million and one thoughts about nothing important and, you know, my incredibly limited hardware. Now, what I choose to put into that hardware on a daily basis, I think incrementally, attritionally starts, that starts laying a bed on your subconscious. Mm. So it's not my business to know what I do know. And this is where religion is interesting to me because I'm not religious either, but to me, Religion is condensed wisdom. We just talk about the Bible, for example. Oh, no, there are amazing parts of religion. I mean, I, I agree, the condensing of, of, of wisdom, that's an amazing way to put it. Yeah, but it's a condensed wisdom, and it's, but, but it's people trying, like the dogs playing chess, trying to put into language. I mean, what is language in comparison to the workings of the universe? This is the most primitive, like, primitive thing but obviously to us it's so profound and it's so and it is because it's ours right so it is actually profound but if you think about it outside those terms we're incredibly incredibly limited so the bible these are stories that probably told for a very very long time and the condensed and it's condensed wisdom to help people navigate the the world so whilst it's not really my business what it all means Mm. i do know that if i act a certain way I can create hell for myself on earth. And if I act another way, I can live somewhat in, in my idea of heaven. Mm. There's something, there's something to that. So I don't need to find the answer, but I can be honest about how I want my life to look and my experience of it. I mean, then, then it gets to the question, which is something that I think about, which is what's the point of not of having a, a meaningful life because I think that's self-evident but if you're not going to just be selfish and just kind of do what you want and take and all that stuff if you're going to get to the point of being a constructive and energetic and a kind of force for good I mean I guess that answers the question it's like I think becoming a force for good is self-evident in its rewards Mm. and it's not really you don't really need to go further than that because you'll find some, some peace there. I think that's about as good as good as I can explain it. Yeah, you did a far better job that I than I, than I could do because I, I just say usually when people ask me that question, I, I, I typically respond with I, I don't know. I, I do know, right? I know something's there. I know there's something working beyond my ability to even fathom it, but I'm also okay not knowing. That's the best answer I can ever give, right? I just, I don't know and I'm okay not knowing. 
there's there's this idea that truth is what yields results. That's not actually what I heard, but that's something I heard somewhere else actually. But that has made so much sense to me and been so helpful to me. Because what is your truth, right? My truth is that I like to uh, shag hookers and do smack and run people over. I know it's wrong, but I like it. So it's my truth, right? <laughs> yeah. Technically, that is someone's truth. Sure. I mean, forget the running someone over. But you know, do you know what I mean? It's like, that's what I do to unwind. That's my truth. The idea about truth being what yields results is that, well, do that and see what happens to your life. See, see where you're at and see, see what you've got to put in your body and where that takes you in order for you to kind of keep finding that enjoyable. And that shit wipes people out, maybe each to their own, and people just like doing that. I don't think that anymore. I think that there, you do have a sense of right and wrong and, and good and evil and, and whatever, which is so these ideas, I guess they must have always kind of been around in human terms that there's certain things that don't work for us. Whilst I used to think each their own and fantastic, you know, if you want to go sleep with hookers and do all this stuff and think it's all cool, then fine. But I don't really think that anymore. I think you've got to be really blind. I think we do have a sense of, of what's, what's right and wrong. And I think it... it uh, you might. And maybe that has something to do with, with the, the kind of wider cultural sickness is that maybe we, we really see what's happening and without even realizing it, it's really hurting us in a very deep way. It's, it sounds to me like you've seen behind the curtain, right? I was, I was talking to one of my mentors in New York City a couple of weeks ago. We were sitting having lunch and, and I was, I was, you know, I was probably bitching and moaning about something describing a set of circumstances or you know being opinionated or wh whatever it was and, and and he really validated some of what I was feeling by telling me you've seen behind the curtain and that's okay but once you see behind the curtain you can't go on I guess you have a choice right you can go on living as if you've never seen behind the curtain you can go on living your life uninformed or ignorant or what, however you want to describe it, or you can really honor the fact that you had the opportunity to see behind, behind the curtain and then live your life accordingly, right? Be appropriate and have your ideas and your perceptions and, and allow those things to change, but also honor your truth and honor your understanding of the world around you and, and how by seeing behind the curtain, you, you know, you have the opportunity now for positive growth. And I guess you can only be the, the one to say whether you have or you haven't. I feel like I have. Um, and I hear, it in, I hear it in you, in your voice, that you probably have too. Being in that space now and, and being able to say you've seen behind the curtain, you've, you've, you've been behind the curtain, you've taken a sneak peek, you, you get it. Um, and you're also uh, you're also allowing yourself to change and grow in certain ways. <clears throat> what are some of the things you're doing today, like in this present moment, to nourish yourself, to nurture yourself, to recondition yourself? Um, you know, because again, we're here on the Lotus Crusher podcast talking about ways in which 
we can take care of ourselves, real ways in which you take care of yourself. And it's the best way I've been able to come up with our purpose on this show is it's in an effort to sort of destigmatize mental health. Now that's, that's a pretty trendy thing to say. Um, but, but it, it needs destigmatizing, right? It needs to the continuous destigmatization so that we can see it for what it is, which is just some normal shit, right? We got, we have brains and we have behaviors and we have these perceptions, all things we've, we've spoken about today on the show. And we have bodies, right? And everybody's cool with like going to the gym or not going to the gym and shaming themselves or shaming other people and, you know, body image shit and the whole thing, right? Um, but we have a really difficult time understanding and motivating ourselves and the people that we love to take care of their, their heads. Um, so I'm, I'm wondering, like, what are some of the real things that you're doing, doing today to, to take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually? I mean, I, I meditate twice a day. I have done for years. I do TM. My diet, I mean, my diet is something that I'm, I've, I've been developing. I mean, I, yeah, I used to go to the gym a lot and then eat a lot of shit. And so that was kind of not the most productive combination because it's so time consuming. I think food is just huge. I think it's I such a massive, massive thing. And I, I just don't think it, we've even began to take it seriously because it's so readily available. I mean, I might sound really dull here, but you know, I just don't, things like Coca-Cola and to, with kids like that's it's that's a bit fucked up to me i try to eat as little sugar as possible i try to eat as much natural stuff as possible at the moment i'm eating a lot of nuts and seeds and i try not to eat that much meat i try to eat a lot of vegetables i try to not take sugar i don't drink alcohol i don't take drugs i don't smoke anymore um i exercise but i've been doing it a little bit more uh just conservatively you know I used to really push it as hard as I could and now I just take it to a place that I feel comfortable with and I take supplements I take fish oils I take probiotics vitamin d b and c and that on tour kind of helps me kind of helps prevent me from getting sick but yeah I mean I'm I guess I'm just looking for the the more and more of an efficient way to, to do things so I'm not eating stuff that's meaning that means I have to be in the gym for an extra hour or I'm not but 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 the you know I'm not people can find out about good nutrition but to me it's the it's the motive what's the motive yeah because to have a good body is not enough of motivation for me to be doing things I used to be but it's just not I can't I'm not it's a very, uh, it's a very myopic, self-obsessed motivation. That yeah, but it's not. It's ain't you know. It's ancient. It's like I want to be strong so that I'm attractive. It's like that's well, that's millions and millions of years old. But it's a, but that's quite layer one of of you know human mating kind of stuff. You know, it's not. So it's, for me, and I'm still working on that. It's 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 what's the motivation. And I think that I'll just go back to what I said earlier. It's it's not about like I if I'm trying to verbalize it, it makes it sound a little bit 
ineffectual, but it's self-evident to be of use and to be there and to be connected, properly connected with others. There's just something about that which makes me at peace. I'm not able to be there for others if I'm fucking tired. I can't. I, I, I guess that's something that's quite interesting is that you've got to kind of be in pretty good shape to, or I do at least, to be able to behave in that way because if I haven't had enough sleep or if I'm eating shit or if I'm... All this stuff will quickly make me pretty fucking angry and depressed. <laughs> yeah. And then I'm not in the mood to do anything for anyone. Yeah. And uh, I feel like shit. And my life experience is pretty shitty. I'm not fun to be around. Um, I'm highly aware of that and it really upsets me. And so I don't think that any of this is about perfection or it's not, you know, it's, it's nothing to do with that. I think it's just about, I don't want to call it life satisfaction, but I think we need to have meaning in our life. We need to do things and act in a way that resonates with ourselves. And, and I think there's, I think that's a, a very active thing. I think, I don't think you get that from video games and porn and, and shopping and all, all this stuff that we spend a lot of time doing. I mean, yeah, it's the constant void filling and it is, you know, it's like, it sounds like what you're, what you're saying is immediately resonates with, with my purpose or, my, my own personal purpose, my own personal truth, which is, and it, I didn't make this up, you know, and in fact, none of this shit I made up, everything that I do or say is a, uh, like sort of an amalgamation, uh, a compilation of things I've heard and I've learned. No, I'm, I'm happy that it's that way because I, it's, it, it feels okay to me. You know, it's like, it's, in my professional life, I build teams and I'm, I'm happy to do that. And you mentioned earlier being part of the group that you're a part of, you are a part of a team and that there's comfort in that. And I'm, I'm comfortable with knowing that all of my beliefs and ideas have come from some other source and it's my own perception of those things and how they work in my own life that, um, that makes them useful. But my true purpose, I believe if I'm, you know, if I'm connected to it and I'm not in the process of void filling with shopping or, you know, whatever it is, um, eating, uh, there's so many things, um, that can distract us from purpose or, you know, or our truth. For me, it's, everything good in my life, everything that's ever happened to me, everything, every good thing that's ever happened to me is a, a direct result of me helping someone else. That's it. And the purpose in my life, and this might not be everyone else's purpose, and I don't believe that this is necessarily the highest purpose for all of mankind, but having the motivation to take care of ourselves mentally, physically, spiritually, emotionally, whatever it is, to take care of other people um, based on my own data, it works. You know, I, I've had a successful track record of if I can maintain that, that focus and that purpose, 
I can kind of do anything, you know, it's, if I set out to do these things that I want to do, knowing that if I do them, I'm also helping someone else in the process, then I've won, you know, and it, I don't need to be some sort of trillionaire that has all this power. And, you know, even if you want to do that, just make sure that you, you got the right motivation. You know, it's what you said is very true. And I, it's, it's easy to forget that we can, we can strive to take care of ourselves and feel good. Cause we all want, we all want to feel good. You know, and there's nothing wrong with having the motivation behind it is important and what is what is the purpose it's it's easy to lose sight of that it's easy for me to lose sight of that so thanks for thanks for reminding me i don't even think it's easy to forget i think it's near impossible to remember <laughs> i think that's the way that's the way around it is and I, and i think so all this talk about maintenance is really i think that has so much to do with you being in a position that you can even get to that stage. If you're kind of in a web of dishonesty or whatever, and you're trying to keep things from blowing up, you know, you're not even going to have fucking five seconds to think about this kind of thing. Same if you're super hungover or whatever. I mean, it's near impossible to remember. And I think that is, that's a pretty good reason for you to take care of yourself. But what are you working on professionally, uh, musically, is there anything you guys are touring right now? Well, when I saw you, I was in LA and then we did a European tour from there. And I've been talking to my brother, who's a musician too, he plays in the horrors, and we've been talking about doing a record together. And I, I, you know, I, I just want to start exploring the guitar in a different way. Um, because I think, I think it's the ultimate gift for a band to have a, a sound and a sound comes with certain limitations. And I'm not sure if that is strictly true yet, but I would like to explore things a little bit more freely. Uh, Without sort of the confines of expectation around well, what you should sound like based on like I, like I said, it's a, it's a complete gift that you even have the structure to adhere yeah, to. Right. I, I'm interested in trying to do something, probably without any vocals, just instrumental stuff. Um, if it makes, this might not make sense. If they're my ideas, they're usually not very good. <laughs> it's the things that almost appear to me like they're not my ideas that are worth doing. They're undeniable and there's like a big pull to do them. Mm. I don't know, you know, they're not coming from someone else, but there's not like a eureka moment. My eureka moments are usually very unsuccessful. Mm. and They're usually, you know, done with very quickly. It's the things that are kind of undeniable. The next like untied shoelace in front of you, which just is screaming out to be done. Sure. Um, that's the stuff that t usually for me turns out to be good. Um, so, yeah, I've got a kind of, I've got some stuff in my head, which I, I want to pursue. Do you ever notice your head, your head screaming for a break? Or are you okay? Are you, you, you're not that it needs to, right? I just, 
the last 11 months for me have been quite intense and I've noticed my own head saying, mm, <laughs> time to switch off, mate. You know, like you can't, you can't keep doing this, but it's, it just needs a couple of weeks or so to recalibrate and then get back on the path. And maybe that's not where you're at, but um, our, our sort of log line on the show is where's your head at, right? So is your head at the place where you, you, it's ready to keep moving forward and exploring these new things and, and playing these shows, or do you plan in the next, you just told me you're touring, you're going to probably be recording another album with the vaccines and you're going to be exploring some new things with your guitar as well as traveling, as well as like having your own personal life and yeah. and taking care of yourself. It's like, yeah, those are all I, I have things. a clothing brand as well. And you do, and you have a, yeah, I yeah. about that. You have a, you have yeah. a clothing brand. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to talk about it, but, but I'm just, yeah. But, uh, no, I, I, I think that, uh, maybe I think that left to, left with a vacuum, it won't be filled with good things. I, I, I think that action is where I'm probably the happiest. Sure. And that's not action just to fill my hours. It's just to do things that are important to me. Um, that is nourishing. But I'm not um, I'm not very frantic. I used to be much more frantic. I, I'm, you know, if I, my, my idea of a good day is like a two-hour breakfast. Just to sit and talk and eat slowly and just do that, you know, and, and then do some work in the afternoon. And spend time just you know listening to whatever's trying to be heard and and uh, and a bit of time of self education and self you know it's it's I guess what I'm saying is that my day to day life isn't as when I'm in charge of it it's not as frantic as something that might require three months on a beach you know. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for being on the show. I think it, um, your understanding of yourself and the world around you is pretty interesting. And I, I kind of figure that that was the case, um, in, in spending some time with you in person and then, you know, thinking, Oh, Freddie would be great to talk to on the show. And, and what he, what he says matters, I think in a lot of ways. And, and I, I know you, I knew you were a smart guy and, and it, you know, it's evident through our conversation today that it's, um, Oh, no, that's very kind. I mean, it's nice. It's given me a lot to think about because I feel like when you're usually made or given the opportunity to talk about your ideas and thoughts, there's so, uh, there's so little time to elaborate that you don't really get to the bottom of what you even think. Mm. It's always in the back of your head. Like, Oh, you know, if I could just have you for an hour, then you'd really understand. Um, <laughs> it's great. It's great for me. It, it, and I, I often find when things, when you take things to the, to their conclusion, it, it just throws up more questions and more, but in a, in a really positive way, I think you, you can kind of, you realize how much more there is to everything. Yeah. And, and, and you've had the, I don't know, maybe you've had a moment here on the show to, um, not that you would need to prove yourself, but in a way validate 
parts of, of who you are and, and, and honor those pieces. Cause I think so often, especially the people that are, have been on this show and maybe will continue to be on this show. Um, I, I, I see them being, um, sort of framed or, or perceived a, a particular way by their peers or by the public or whatever it is. And, and it's great. I think if we really are in the business of taking care of ourselves and each other to allow for the space to, um, talk genuinely about what we really believe and how we really do things. It's, it's more than a hit record, you know, it's more than, um, a guitar solo. It's more than a clothing line, right? It's like, who is this person and what do they believe and how do they do things? And I think if we have more honest dialogue about that with more people, it just, it offers the, you know, offers us, it offers listeners um, and creators the ability to just continue to be honest, right? And, 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 and be transparent and in, in, yeah. Where it's so we're so convoluted with lies and misinformation and I hate to even say it, but you know, fake news or whatever the fuck that means. It's like yeah. having the ability to put out some honest content without too much ego. And, and our, our podcast is pretty punk rock, the name and sort of the look we're going for, but it's just who we are and who we always will be. And we're okay with that. But and we, we try to be as sassy as possible while still maintaining transparency and honesty. But I'm, I'm just, I'm so thrilled that you were able to be here and be able to, um, to talk openly and honestly about yourself and your beliefs and, and the way you take care of yourself. Cause it's, it's important, I think, for people to hear that from, from people who again, have a platform or an audience. It's, it's important to be able to speak openly and honestly without fear of, of something being misconstrued or misinterpreted because you, you really do have the ability here to do that. Yeah, I think probably what I've gained the most from podcasts or that format is is the opportunity for some positive emulation because I think taken when you take it into this format or this structure um, you're kind of free of motivations mm. they're not no one is it you're not being edited by MTV <laughs> uh, yeah do you know what I mean it's yeah, like there's yeah. not not maybe that's a bad example but no, no, you're no. you're you're free of what might be construed you're free of motivations mm -hmm. and I think that gives I think that gives a good opportunity to really get into stuff. And then what I've found is that it's given me good, good opportunities to have some positive emulation of people that I admire, or people that I am drawn to, and I get to kind of pick their brains for a bit. I think that's a, that's a real, that's something that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs>